Second, the agency will modify the sleeper berth exception to allow drivers to split their required 10 hours off-duty into two separate periods, an 8-2 and two split or a 7-3 split. Uh, with neither periods, whether it's the 8-2 or the 7-3, counting against the driver's 14-hour driving window. The voice you heard at the top was that of FMCSA Acting Administrator Jim Mullen, speaking yesterday with reporters about what his agency, I imagine, felt a little pressed to unveil. Adopted changes to the hours of service rule, and that all might be good news or bad, depending on your perspective, from what I can tell thus far from the quick takes. For this caller to our podcast line, well... As per usual, the Department of Transportation has wrapped up a pretty package, and it's like opening up a present on Christmas Eve and there's nothing in it. I'm an owner-operator, been doing this since 1994, and there's nothing of value in this change of the Department of Transportation rules for owner-operators, for long-haul drivers. Notably, I'll say, the rules didn't include a proposed three-hour pause button as a daily option for the 14, not directly, but what they did include and Mullen was detailing it there, was a split sleeper change that expanded from 8 and 2 uh, up to a 7 and 3. The biggest change in the split sleeper, though, has to do with the shorter period in the split, which can now, in fact, be excluded from calculation of the rolling 14 and 11 maximums. In a sense, the shorter period now, quote-unquote, stops the clock, where it didn't before. Yet the necessity of always taking into account the previous duty and drive periods when on a split cycle will still be a necessity as far as I can tell at this point. It's complicated, but basically, to get all your available daily on-duty and drive hours back when splitting, you're still going to need to take a 10-hour break to get out of the cycle. I'm Todd Dills, and you're listening to the Overdrive Radio Podcast for May 15th, 2020, which marks two weeks now that a group of demonstrating truck drivers and owner-operators has rallied along, and sometimes in, as you'll hear, Constitution Avenue in Washington, D.C., trying to get the Trump administration's attention to issues in the spot market with rates and brokers. Most are asking for greater transparency into what shippers have paid for the loads they book to be able to make sound decisions about future business, though some have asked for more than that. I'm talking in this edition with Generations Express independent owner-operator Brian Hutchins, and we'll get to how he feels about the hours of service changes at, at, uh, later, later in the podcast. Regular listeners and overdrive readers may well remember him from an organizing role he assumed with others around last year's That's a Big 10-4 on DC outreach effort on the National Mall in October. The last couple of months, he's uh, seen business slow down a good bit, as have so many, I know and sold the business's second truck, 2007 model, early in the pandemic period, reducing costs. His insurance renewal came up too, and his agent was able to shop coverage around and found insurers rather aggressively competing with each other. He got a substantial reduction, so maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of a bright spot for everyone in all this. Owner-operator Hutchins spent parts of Tuesday and uh, Wednesday this week with his 1996 Peterbilt 379 and 53-foot step deck parked with the assembled. He guesses more than 100 trucks and probably double that of drivers and, in some cases, their families. Wednesday, notably, 
After Hutchins departed to pick up a load to take him back to his home base in Oklahoma, the group in D.C. was paid a visit by former North Carolina Congressman Mark Meadows, President Trump's chief of, chief of staff, if you don't know him, and his security detail. As we reported yesterday at OverdriveOnline.com, Meadows pledged dialogue to continue and insisted they had the administration's attention on rates and transparency issues, though he stressed the reality that, well, the entire country is hurting right now. What Hutchins found in terms of issues discussed in his brief time in conversations in D.C., he describes this way. There are multiple things that people believe need to be fixed in the industry, and I'm not saying that any of them are wrong. Um, in fact, they pretty much all are. I mean, we have a lot of problems in the industry that are not getting addressed because we have people in D.C. that are obviously going and meeting with politicians, and they've got a lot more money in their campaign funds to be able to donate than we do so um, it's great to see people show up to watch them go out there and actually stand up and make their voice heard let people know what they're going through on a daily basis because the general public does not know what we as truck drivers deal with on a daily basis inside these trucks the only thing they know is us going down the road and getting in their way um, a lot of these people that have that are there right now and vast majority of them are people that have never been to D.C. before, and what they're finding out is when you're on the side of the street down there, um, people are stopping all day long to stop and talk to you to see what's going on, to see why you're there. Um, and you can actually talk to those people and explain what's going on in your industry and how these things affect you personally and the industry as well. And people are a lot more sympathetic to your cries then than they are when you're on Facebook posting about it. So we got down there, I actually rolled in with uh, five people. It was uh, Alan and Bonnie Kelly, Brian Braze, uh, Raymond Friend and myself. We all decided to convoy down. You know, we've been down there multiple times together uh, and we've all pretty much done the 10-4 event together every year. So I was coming through and Alan was home and we all decided just to convoy down and and go talk to these people and, and see what their opinions were and maybe interject some of our own and see what everybody thought about it. So that's what we did. We, uh, we convoyed down in. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen on the streets of DC. Uh, <laughs> typically people are upset. They are uh, protesting, you know, and typically you're angry when you're protesting. These people have been there so long, they found their happy spot, and they are, they're protesting, but they're actually getting the public involved, honking horns when they go by. You know, these guys are, they're self-sustaining at this point up there. They've had people help fund them so that they can stay there. Uh, they've got trailers set up with kitchens in them. They're feeding these people every day. As far as I know, uh, it's a donation only if you want to donate anything. But they're feeding it and making sure all these people are taken care of for free just out of the goodness of their heart because they believe in the reason that they're there. I've personally heard of donations of food coming in from far afield. A week ago, the National Association of Small Truck Companies got wind of a member carrier's driver that was among the demonstrators who'd been in D.C. nearing a full week at that point. Dozens of pizzas showed up at the site soon after, but... Uh, and that's just that's just one example of the phenomenon. Um, I actually know some of those guys that sent some of that food out there, and and actually every time we go up there, typically we get like a ten four one night we have pizzas, 
or we had Subway sandwiches. Um, I believe it was two years ago. The Sikh sent us a bunch of their food up there, and, man, the food was phenomenal. It's something that most of us had never tried, and we wouldn't even know what to order if we were going to try it. But they knew, you know, what to order and what to send to us, and all this food showed up, and it was, man, I can't even tell you how good it was. And, and you know, when you're in D.C., it's not like you can just walk down the street when you're on the National Mall and find something to eat. There's nothing close to there. You're going for a pretty good walk or Uber or you're going to have to order something in, which isn't cheap at all. And now it's even more so the case, uh, given I suspect, I mean, I'm not, uh, I haven't been following the D.C. local news or anything, but I suspect that a lot of uh, places where you might be able to walk in and get something to eat uh, are, are closed, uh, or at least uh, not not doing dine-in, for sure. But no. no, you're right. I mean, some of them are, most are closed, some are doing delivery, um, right. it's really a weird time up there because I've been like say five times or so, something like that. And this was the least amount of traffic I have ever seen. We literally convoyed in out of Hagerstown and came down. And when we hit within 40 miles of DC, when traffic is normally getting bad, we left at two o'clock in the afternoon from Hagerstown to two fifteen. So that puts us in DC in rush hour. And we never lifted off the throttle all the way into the city. So yeah, wow. it's it, it's extremely slow down there. You you were and you you got caught a load out out uh, to Pennsylvania, I believe. From you and you came all the way out from Oklahoma, right? I did. I came from Oklahoma yeah. and I loaded for one of my customers up to Michigan. And myself and the other guys had talked about getting together, like I talked about. So uh, I caught a load out of Sandusky, going over to Carlisle, and then deadheaded to Hagerstown and I already had something else lined up to go get out of Dover out of the Air Force Base so uh, I literally rolled down in there with them and then the next day I went over to Dover and got my load on which is when I uh, got the phone call that that these people weren't sitting on the sides of the streets anymore. Yeah what what happened what happened down there yesterday I mean I know it eventuated with uh uh, with Mark uh, Mark Meadows, uh, you know the chief of staff for President Trump, actually coming out and talking to everybody, um, and uh, you know we did a little report on it today, and you know I just I got to to hear most of what he said, at least when he was talking to the group. Um, I know he hung around a little later and had some personal conversations with some 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 of the individual folks down there. Um, but you know what, what led up to that? Because I you know I heard some. I know there was uh, uh, some some venturing of trucks into the into the uh, the throughway there on uh, Constitution Avenue, which is, is a city street uh, or or uh, four lane street, I guess, with street parking where the trucks usually stage. But um, apparently, some of the folks got out and into the street. They did. I mean, you, as you can imagine, after you've been there for that many days, yesterday was what day thirteen or so that they had been there. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, they had the idea, Secret Service had talked to him multiple times. They had had, they thought they were getting a meeting with Trump because that's what they had come down and taken their license and talked to those people. They thought that was being set up. So you're pushing day 13 now, and the only thing you've got is Secret Service coming down, uh, Facebook post, Twitter post, something like that. It's It wasn't really right. a productive uh, uh, for for the amount of people that were there and the amount of time that was put in, 
Um, I think frustration started to build and they realized that what we've been told many times and we've talked to many reporters over the year and that are local DC and we were there when the Zuckerberg trial was going on. We were there when uh, confirmation for Kavanaugh was going on. Yeah. Every, every time we were there, when Zuckerberg was there, uh, the, the lawns were filled out there with people yelling and screaming with signs protesting. When Kavanaugh was being confirmed and we were there, there were marches down the streets of thousands of people coming into the Capitol together. And you could hear them from six, eight blocks away coming, yelling and screaming and had signs. We've been told multiple times. I mean, everybody that's been up there has been told, you're going to have to make a scene to be seen. And as many times as we've peacefully done that, we have never gotten a response out of everyone up there. Uh, the FMCSA has come down and talked to us, but it's been nothing but placation. The DOT has, has never even paid attention to the fact that we're there or commented on it. Uh, Trump has never made a comment. I realize he's extremely busy. But when you fly over the National Mall or you fly down the street and you see 50 or so trucks parked out, out there, you would kind of wonder, you know, maybe what's going on down there. Especially sure. as many times we've been up into senators, representatives' offices, we can't even get them to come down and talk to us. So with all this frustration built, I think those guys finally realized we're going to have to make our voice heard. We're going to have to go to the next level to be able to step up and get some media attention down here, to get the White House's attention, to start getting our, our elected officials to talk to us. And that's what they did. I mean, they started with the trucks, and, and they went too wide down the street in low gear, uh, slow rolling up and down the street. It started to garner support, and eventually the people that were there came out into the street, walked in front of trucks, and, you know, they also had a bus protest going on at the same time. Uh, they're actually protesting right, yeah. not, not having a stimulus bailout. So those buses were there at the same time clogging up traffic. Eventually, the people walked out in the street and stopped all traffic. Um, of course, Secret Service came out. You know, these people are, are chanting and, and saying we're not going to leave and taking it to the next level of what they thought they had to do to get their attention. So the first time that happened, after a little while, I don't know, it was probably an hour, they eventually cleared the street. After three or four hours of waiting, they did it again. And the second time, they all went right back out in the street and sat there and told them we're not going to leave which shortly after Mark Meadows ended up showing up from the White House, the chief of staff, ends up showing up down there to talk to these guys, and that is, that is single-handedly more response than we've ever had in the five times that I've been to D.C. There have been uh, quite, uh, quite extensive conversations with FMCSA, though, there down around 10-4, as my, as, my as my recollection is, though. There, you, have, you guys – these events have gotten some response in the past, but I mean, yeah, the White House Chief of Staff is a, is a different order altogether. I just, um, do you have a sense? I mean, you weren't there, I don't think, when he showed up, but um, I mean, do you have a sense that there, there's going to be, that there's potentially more substantive results here um, than what we've seen in the past? 
Well, we've talked to the FMCSA many times, and they tell us their hands yeah. are tied. Without us doing something, their hands are tied, which quite literally they can't come out and say, you're going to have to shut down. But they've literally sat across the table from us and, and hinted to, you're going to have to shut down. So, you know, we've sat there and done that, and we've got nothing out of it. I mean, look at how long the hours of service has taken. Mark Meadows comes down yesterday and meets with them in the afternoon. And when I wake up this morning and log on to Facebook, the hours of service have been dropped, what the new hours of service is. <laughs> now, you can't tell me that it's a coincidence that we've been waiting all this time. We've been asking. Uh, they won't give us an answer on what it is. Oh, it's still at the OMB board. Oh, it's still – you can't tell me that those guys being there in D.C. are not the reason those hours of service dropped today. Here's a, another question for you. What is? What do you think about those hours of service that changes? I think, do you think it's going to be helpful to you personally? I think it's an improvement. Um, you know, they they said they couldn't get rid of the 30-minute break, so what they did with it was if you don't run eight consecutive hours, which not very many people can sit down in a seat and run eight hours without stopping, you're going to stop somewhere along the way. What they did was if you're not running eight consecutive hours straight, then you don't have to take that 30-minute break. So if you ran six and you stopped for 20 minutes on duty or, you know, whatever, short amount of time, and then you got back to the seat yeah. and drove out, drove out the rest of your day, then you're not going to have to sit in a rest area or on the side of the road. That's one of the biggest problems we've had with the 30-minute break since it started, and we've tried to explain to them. We know when we need a break. When they put that 30-minute break in, the fuel station started having problems because guys started taking their 30-minute breaks at the pumps, which not only is a problem for the fuel station, then you have drivers getting aggravated, you have guys arguing, you have guys getting in fights at the truck stop, you know, because they're already stressed on time and they're running against the clock. So you throw the 30-minute on top of that, it makes it even worse. Um, the 7-3 and three and the 8-2 and two are definitely an improvement. I think they are going to help. I was really hoping to see the six and four in there as well. And also, I threw it out there, but evidently they didn't deem it necessary for team operations. The five and five is really one of the best options for a team operation. Um, I don't know if they didn't do that because it's, it's specifically team-oriented or if it just wasn't an option at all. But mm -hmm. – uh, yeah, there are some fleets out there that are still to this day under a, uh, you know, kind of a rolling trial um, exemption that allows their teams to do that with like a, like this reduction right. in the driving hours as well. And I still keep they, they basically justify this by um, you know um, uh, saying that it will help them collect data to see whether this is a safe option and um, and. You know, it, it makes it makes some sense, and I, and I think there's there's not that many there's not that many police that are that have that option at this point. And I don't know how um, extensively they use it. Uh, it's not something that uh, that I've been able to talk to them about. Um, something I may do in the future, though, because because FCSA has for sure said that um, given. Uh, some you know close kind of uh, looks at a, a kind of naturalistic uh, real world sort of uh, situation where people are doing this on a regular basis and doing these kinds of things could give them some justification for 
changing it, a, you know, a little, a little more, making it a little more flexible with the sleeper splits, like you were saying. Um, so could could happen. So I, I'm well, curious to see though how Meadows and, and the White House and and whoever else this goes to beyond this, because obviously they gave out their card um, for Mike to contact them. Hutchins makes reference there to owner-operator Mike Landis, the independent based in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, also of the driver-focused USTA group. When he was getting, uh, what he was getting to there is a curiosity about what happens next, particularly as it relates to whatever dialogue is created in the aftermath of all this. Among the issues raised by the groups in DC, chief among galvanizing the whole event to begin with, as I noted earlier, was the extreme low rate environment in this pandemic and a feeling that there's been more than a little action on instinct among freight middlemen to take advantage of the situation. A desire for greater transparency in brokered transactions, the right to know just what the shipper paid for the load, at the very least after the fact of the negotiation, has been uh, somewhat principal among issues voiced, though some have called for more upfront transparency on what the shipper's paying before the negotiation. OIDA has stressed what's in the regulations today for years as an avenue toward getting such transparency should you want it. And I have written about that reg, 49 CFR 371.3, and how it's practically applied not very well, ultimately. You can find more of that on uh, overdriveonline.com. OIDA last week sent a letter to Congress that, uh, that, it, that proposed an automatic disclosure of all the transaction details uh, after the load uh, is moved. When it comes to that call for transparency, I asked Hutchins this question. Do you, is that something that had been on your radar before, something that you had actively um, desired, or, or, is, or is this um, not something you ever saw as a, as a big issue? Well, yes and no. So I don't work with a lot of brokers. Um, I understand okay. a lot of guys run low board only. I actually right. started in the industry before we even had low boards. We had a fax machine and a, a phone with four lines and you race to that fax machine every morning to grab those faxes off to start calling and then calling right. your customers. Um, their thing with transparency, they don't want, this is the misconception, they don't want the government stepping in and taking over our rates. What they right. want is they want transparency to where what that load pays is either on their final payout sheet or is on the bill laden because they want to self-regulate what brokers they use and don't use is what they want right. to do. They, they want to be able to look and go, this is, this guy is fair to me. I'm comfortable with him. I respect him. Uh, we have a good relationship. And unfortunately these, this day and time, we have so many brokerages starting up every day. So many small ones. There are a lot of really good small brokerages. There are also a lot of really bad small brokerages because they believe they can get in this industry to get rich and they want to do it off the backs of the guys that are running down the road. Um, you know, military already does this. Their prices are already on every bill lading you pick up. So uh, I'll give you a good for instance. I picked up a load. Uh, this load, he started negotiating at $2,200. We finished at $2,750. Uh, the guy gave me every excuse in the book that he didn't have any money in this load, that he was <laughs> going to 
not make a profit. He was going to make very little profit. Oh man, I was killing what he was making. Uh, bottom line is I picked this load up and I'm sitting here looking at the bill laden and it's $4,219 and 20 cents. So that's what I'm talking about. When you're running a spot market, you have these companies that are taking advantage of people. And as bad as people don't want to hear it, the immigrants that are there are being taken advantage of more than the rest of the people on the phone. You hear it all the time. Like when I call brokers and they tell me, well, I'll give you more money than so-and-so because uh, you guys are American citizens. And it's like, they shouldn't do that. The industry shouldn't be this way. It's flawed the way it is right now. They just want a fair shake. Those people that I met up there are hardworking people. A lot of them are container haulers out of the ports and they've been hit extremely hard in the past, what year and a year, year and a half since the tariff war started. So it was already bad before, but then you go into COVID and they're not taking a lot of these ships because of COVID-19 and it mm-hmm. just continues to get worse. I mean, it's a cycle of it going downhill. You know, it's not any different. These guys that are running reefer and drive-in out here right now, uh, when the oil market crashed at the same time, the first thing that a lot of those guys in the oil field thought was, hey, people are always going to buy food. They're always going to buy household products. Let's go hook onto a reefer and at least we can stay busy. Those yep. guys now are starting to see, to feel the effect of what's happening where these people are transferring over from the oil field that's died into drive-in and reefer and they're driving the rates down. So, you know, it's a domino effect on the industry. Like I told you before, I had a, an interview a few days ago and the guy kept pounding me on when this is going to get better, when these rates are going to come back up. And I told him, I don't know who you're talking to that say they're the experts, but nobody knows. Nobody's dealing with a pandemic like we're dealing with right now. We don't know how many trucking companies have gone out of business. We don't know how many are barely hanging on and paying the bills. We don't know how many manufacturers have went out of business or the people that produce raw goods. And we don't know how long it's going to take to restock them or for them to get their, their, uh, their facilities back up and online. So, it's there's too many unknown variables at this point to even know what it's going to take for this country to get back to where we even were before. I mean, I guess the best that, um, you know, best that people can do is just, uh, you know, God, it sounds so it's, it's repeated ad infinitum, but so many people advice, uh, columnists and self-help people and, you know, business coaches and everything else, but uh, it's ultimately true. Like, focus on, focus clo- most closely on what you can control and try to keep the house in order, right? Uh, right. Yeah, you just have to, you have to cut the fat, literally. Any, anything that you don't need, you have to get rid of. Uh, if you literally have nothing to haul, then it may be the time to call your insurance company and say, hey, can we shut my insurance off or put it on pause for a month or two months or, you know, whatever you think it's going to take. I've heard of a lot of guys that have uh, actually called their banks, called their mortgage companies, and they've told them, hey, I'm in financial strain. I don't know what to do. I need some help. And the banks are in panic mode as bad as anyone else is. They're they're working with these guys and they're deferring those payments all the way to the end of their loan. Typically, they ask that you pay the interest but they'll defer three payments to the end of your loan. That way you can try to get through the hard times right now because 
obviously this is not going to end anytime soon. It's going to take a little while for us to get back on our feet. It's been kind of nice being in Oklahoma because we've opened back up already. And, and like we went out to my wife and I went out, uh, took her out to dinner at the local Mexican food restaurant that we eat at a lot up there and, and talked to our buddy that owns it up there. And he's been having a hard time. The first day they come back online, you know, he's got nine people working in there and he only had 10 people come in the restaurant all day. So it's not just tough on us. It's tough on a lot of people right now. And it's, it's going to take us taking care of fellow man to get back on our feet. As far as the spot market goes and dealing with brokers, we'll know we're getting back to normal there, I suppose, before the rest of the trucking world sees the improvements. As Hutchins put it, independent owner operators are, as in this current situation, oftentimes the first to really feel the downturn of freight market conditions. The opposite is also often true, the first to benefit from a big swing in the other direction. That's one reason why so many are so reticent to hear talking of any kind of re-regulation of freight actors when it comes to pricing, new or beefed up transparency rules notwithstanding. I asked Hutchins whether his time in DC yielded much in that regard, specifically folks in favor of the capping of a broker's margin on a load, for instance. It's not really talked about, I don't think. To yeah. me, that's why they want the, the rate on there, so that they can self-regulate like, hey, yeah. I, I trust working with this guy or I don't trust working with this guy. You know, the number one thing which I book my own freight um, for my own company and all. So for me, it's it's every day. Like I hear the same thing over and over and over. Every broker I talk to for for 21 years, I've heard this, and it's always this is all we've got in it. Uh, that's all in. I'm, I'm, it's amazing how many times. I mean, I don't know how TQL makes these record profits every year because every time you talk to those guys, they're losing money. I mean, how do right. they do it and stay in business? So. It's, it's continually thrown out there, almost guilt-tripped on the guy that's booking the freight, like, hey, I'm not making any money on this. That's like their ploy to try to get you to take it for less. And unfortunately, yeah. guys in the industry don't realize that, uh, you know, 99% of the time they're getting lied to. So that's a lot of the reason guys want that rate on there. So that even the new guys that come in the industry that really don't know a lot, when they do start taking these loads, they'll start realizing, hey – these guys are holding me over the barrel on these rates. Like they're right. taking advantage of me. And then they can start to learn, well, this is what this lane should pay. This is what this lane should pay, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I think that if they are going to go that route, I think the rate on the bill, uh, lading or, uh, some of them want it up front before the right. negotiation process. I don't know how that's going to play out. It seems really strange to me. Uh, because I've been on both sides of the eight ball, but I don't know how it's going to work. The often enough duplicitous cat and mouse game of negotiating a rate can be second nature for many and plenty appealing to some independents. Would some after the fact transparency make it a more useful process for those in business for themselves? Probably so. But the whole negotiating process can be a bear for some people. It's just not for everyone, as Hutchins said. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to deal with it at all. Others have been negotiating for years. I've been negotiating for 20 years. So to me, a lot of times I kind of knock people off their feet when they get on the phone with me. But, you know, they'll call me and offer me some dollar and 20 cent a mile rate. And I'll throw back $10 a mile at them and it just blows them away. And they're like, what? And I go, hey, man, you know, my my rate's just as ridiculous as yours is. So let's find some way to work together. So, right. and then, you know, that kind of starts the conversation of they're like, oh, boy, I've got 
a guy on the phone that actually knows what he's doing, not just somebody that's going to go, oh, yeah, I got to get a truck home. Because, unfortunately, a lot of these guys, and I've heard it right now a lot, these guys are trying to, a lot of them have customer base that they're trying to get back to all the time. And they're saying, you know, I'm having to take these dollar and 20 cent a mile loads just to get my truck back to where it needs to be, just to get my truck back to where I can load better freight out of. But yeah. how long can you do that for? Because nothing pays. There's very little out here anymore that pays a round trip rate. Uh, years ago, a lot of this freight paid a round trip rate. So you go out right. and, and if you had to deadhead back, you were okay. You didn't take a hit on it. Um, luckily, in this pandemic, as bad as I hate to say it, because I live in Oklahoma and it's really hurt a lot of our guys. But uh, in this pandemic with the price of fuel dropping down, it is probably been the saving grace for a lot of these guys because if we still had three dollar a gallon fuel and these rates were at where they're at right now there would be companies bankrupting right and left i mean they already are but i could imagine it would be a lot worse that's all for this edition of overdrive radio thanks to brian hutchins for his candor and everybody stay pro out there <laughs>